So we put a rose on stage every single week after somebody has given their life to Jesus as kind of a representation of a new beautiful life beginning uh, in Christ. And that's kind of why we do that. So for the future, if you ever see a rose on the stage, it is because the heavens are cheering and celebrating and everyone is joyous just as we are. Uh, if you guys have a Bible, go to Revelation chapter one. We're gonna go from verses nine to 20. Thank you, Christina, for your beautiful reading, you know? She just killed it. The tone was like minty. It was, it was some great stuff, right? So Revelation 1, 9 to 20. Uh, what we're also going to go to, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to go to the Gospel of Luke. And the Gospel of Luke is going to be kind of this uh, predecessor uh, and allow us to understand what the heck she just read. Now, at first glance, I'm going to read this to you, and you are going to say, what in the world are you talking about? This has nothing to do with what she just talked about. And let me tell you, it very much so does, okay? Um, this is what it says. Uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 32. This is a guy named Peter. Okay, Peter, if you haven't, you're not familiar with the gospels, he's kind of dumb and he says a lot of dumb stuff, which makes us have a lot of hope. And he goes to Jesus and he says this, but this is what Jesus says to him. Simon, Simon, right? Remember we talked about last week, that whole thing about emphasis? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan, huh? Demanded to have you. Okay. Jesus goes to Simon. Hey, just Satan said he wants to take you. That he may sift you like wheat. <laughs> what does that even mean, right? But I have prayed for your faith that it may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now imagine this scene. You're just a guy, you're hanging out with Jesus, who's kind of a big deal. Then Jesus randomly walks up to you and says, hey bro, how you doing? You know, just chatting, Satan. And he was like, hey, I need me some Peter. And I said, all right. And then you go to Simon and you just say, praying for you, man, praying for you. Hope it's gonna go great. When you come out the other side of that, I just want you to go and, and strengthen everybody else. And then Jesus kind of just walks away. Imagine Peter in that moment. Like, wait, what? You just said that the devil's gonna sift me like wheat. What the heck does that mean? Like I got beat up by my cousin one time. Is that the same? Like, what is this? There's a very, very important kind of principle being brought up here. Here is Jesus talking about suffering in a way that doesn't kind of make it seem all that bad. It's very interesting when we begin to look at this Revelation passage through that kind of a lens. Because at the beginning of all of this in Revelation chapter 1, there's a guy who begins to introduce himself. And he introduces himself in such a way where it allows all of us to kind of sit there and notice him for who he is as kind of one of us. This is what he says. Revelation chapter 1 verse 9. I, John... The same John of the Gospels, the same guy who writes 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He's this old, grizzled vet of the church. He's respected. He's an elder. Everyone looks up to him like, this guy is the man. John is where it's at. This is John. This is big leagues when it comes to the Bible. He says, this is me. 
And then he gives himself a title that soon enough we will understand is something very passionate to us. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation. Tribulation is a very interesting word. It basically means a time of suffering. I am your brother and I am your partner in this tribulation. Last week, we kind of hinted on it. At this point in time, in Rome and all throughout this kingdom, if you were a Christian, you got torched. It's not a good time to follow Jesus. Right, all of the disciples at this point, this is probably uh, 60 years after Jesus, right? John's this old man and all of his best friends are dead. All of the disciples have died and not just died as in like, you know, I was old, I had a full life, it was great. No, it was murder after murder after, like this is not a good way to end, right? Tradition says that Peter, was crucified, but then he goes and tells them, I do not deserve to die as my Lord died. And so he requested to be crucified upside down. Like that's intense, man. You have other guys who go and evangelize and they, they move from where they currently are to places like India. Murdered one after another, after another, after another, after another. This is a very intense feeling we're supposed to get off the beginning in this book. And I hope you feel that. This is, this is a lot that he's trying to say to us. Everyone's dead. You and I, as partners in this great suffering, John felt it too. They tried to kill him off at one point. Tradition says that John was such a leader in the church community that the Romans grabbed him and they put him into a vat of burning oil. It's intense, it's craziness. And he didn't die. And they got so freaked out because he was such an important figure in the church. They go, well, we can't leave him here. So they send him off to this island called Patmos, which is where he tell us, tells us that he is next. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Patmos is an island off of Asia Minor. That's uh, Old Testament talk for modern day Turkey. So Patmos is this random island. They send you there to be exiled. It's kind of like a prison island. Think kind of like Alcatraz. And they send him there and he's alone and he's kind of just like thinking through everything. Now let's, let's bounce back for a second. Okay, this is obviously very intense. I'm trying to give you an image of how actually crazy this guy in, this, in the time that he's writing is, is talking about. He's sitting there going, all of my friends, all of the churches that I love from that community and that community and that community are suffering over and over and over again. That's what it kind of looks like to follow Jesus at that time. I stopped to think about my, to, to think about all of this. And I go, imagine if John was here nowadays. Like what's suffering to us? Like let's be real for a second. What's suffering to us? No Wi-Fi for a day? It's 
You ran out of some money or your parents said no to you. No, I'm not gonna give you 20 bucks. No, you're not allowed to go and do that thing. Or What's suffering to you? To be honest, the way that this should hit us is the majority of the people in this room live quite comfortably. All right, we talked about this last week. You, you bathe in other people's cleaning water and other people's dr drinking water. Like the majority of the planet does not have drinking water and you bathe in it. You are pampered. If you live in a home right now, you are in the 1% of the world. Think about that plus all of the other filters that you can go through. What's, what's your economic status? Probably from our community, it's, it's more, more likely that you're, you're well off. That doesn't even get into any of the racial things that goes on. You begin to go and you look at your filters and you go, man, I am privileged. This is a community that is not to sit back and go, what are the things that we worry about when it comes to church? Oh, I don't like the music. I don't like the guy who talks. I don't like that I walk in, it's so intimidating and it's kind of scary. Let's just stop for a second and ask ourselves, <laughs> what happened? That this is now suffering in church. It's ridiculous for him to sit there and go, everything has been taken from me. Everyone has been taken from me. I am alone. I am in prison. I am exiled. And the only thought that he has is how can I love them? How can I encourage them? This is why this whole book, as crazy as it sounds and as crazy as it actually is, leads you in awe of worship because even in the pain, there's a purpose. Even in the, in the struggle, there is a, a view of God that he has so often that we do not. And so he goes and he continues to talk about in this most beautiful way that verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. It was a, it was a Sunday and I was sitting there and I was so in tune with God that I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, this, this loud noise that came out of nowhere. And what you're gonna begin to see, and this is very important for the book of Revelation, look at the difference between what he hears and what he sees. There's a big difference between what he hears and what he sees. All throughout this book, it's going to repeat itself between what he heard and what he saw. And all it's going to try to teach us as readers of this book is this very weird idea, but I hope you get it, is that you have to begin to teach yourself how to see through listening. You have to be able to see through hearing. And it, and it flips everything out of control but you're going to begin to understand this in a second, that this is John's longest pastoral letter. This is the longest thing he uses to encourage and push you and says, listen, I want to bring you into my reality so you see life in a completely different manner. This is the beauty of the book of Revelation. This is what uh, one guy, his name is Eric Auerbach, says about uh, the Bible and says about the scripture that, that, that comes to us this way. 
Scripture is not meant merely to make us forget our own reality for a few hours. It seeks to overcome our reality. We are to fit our own life into its world, feel ourselves to be elements in the structure of universal history. Everything else that happens in the world can only be conceived as an element in this sequence. Into it, everything that is known about the world must be fitted as an ingredient of the divine plan. We do not read this to escape from everyday life. We read this to allow this to reorient the reality that we believe ourselves to be in. It's a major difference. Let me go and read about Jesus for 20 minutes or for an hour versus let, let Jesus rearrange everything about how I live life. It's very different things. John is in pain. John is suffering. And he hears this loud voice like a trumpet, verse 11, saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna, to Pergamum and to Theatira, and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. What we remembered, right? Last week, what's the number seven? It's, it's this completeness. There's a, lots of other churches in Asia Minor and he's not listing off all of them. Is he kind of just saying like, ah, forget about those guys. This is the big seven. no. The seven is the complete number of all the churches. Think of all the churches together represented in these seven. I want to send letters to all of them. I want to encourage every single one of them. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go and accomplish this. Bad days happen to all of us. Struggles happen to all of us. Real life pain happens to us at very different levels. Some of you have abandonment issues. Some of you have made real mistakes for yourselves. Some of you, and the statistics are true, are facing real life abuse currently at this very moment. There are things that you can look at in your life that you have so hidden in your heart that you have declared to yourself already at 15, 16, 17 years old, I am never going to tell anyone about. You should feel this. Think of your suffering. Think of your pain. Think about what you do with that. Do you do what John does and go and express my pain and my struggle to the world to help and encourage the others? Or do I sit there and hide it because I feel alone and I want it to be alone and I do not want this to go out? It hits us in a very, very deep manner. So he hears this loud voice like a trumpet saying this thing and look at what he sees. Then I turned on to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roars of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. He's looking at this thing and this crazy image comes into his mind. These, these lampstands, imagine 
lampstands, right? So he has a bunch of lampstands and he sees one like a son of man right in the middle of it. This should immediately click into your mind. If Remember, this is the exam at the end of the book. Who references themselves as a son of man? Jesus does. In the gospels, it's the favorite thing that he says about himself. I am the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. The son of man. It's his favorite title for himself. And so what John is doing at this moment, he's clicking in amongst the, the seven golden lampstand, the son of man, right? Hint, hint, quote, quote, Jesus. is standing there and look at how his view of Jesus is. It's very different. He has burnished bronze feet. He has fire eyeballs. He has a sword coming out of his mouth. And we're like, what in the world? I'm thinking about like fluffy haired Jesus. You know, the Jesus is my homeboy kind of Jesus. Like the Jesus who's just like all hugs, you know? That's my kind of Jesus. So interesting what we do with the Bible. We like go, we look at it, we, we pick and choose. Like this is what I like to call buffet Jesus, right? Imagine you go to a buffet place. Now, some of you are gonna start getting into like coveting issues. You're like, oh my gosh, Chinese buffet. Give me that chow mein, right? And so you're sitting there and you're, you're imagining and everybody has their thing. It's so funny when you go to like a Chinese restaurant or even a Mexican place, you show up and you don't even care about the quality of service, right? Like how mean are the people who are there sometimes? Like you go into a Chinese place and they can be like, hey, order. And you're like, whoa, you know, I want some barbecue pork, some lemon chicken and some chow mein. And they give it to you and they can be the rudest people in the world. You're going there every week. Like you just don't care. The rules don't apply because the, the thing is so good. So you go and you're, you're at this buffet and you walk in, you have your kind of perfect combination that everybody has. Ooh, I want some fried rice or oh, you know what? I'm gonna skip the noodles today. Let's get some veggies because I'm feeling nice and healthy, right? So you go and you start doing your thing and you begin to pick the combination that you find is perfect for you. It's your perfect buffet. We do the same with Jesus. There's all of these different characteristics and aspects of who Jesus is. He's loving, he's forgiving. Woo, now pick that. And he goes and helps the widows and the poor. Love me some of that. He's homeless. Okay, we're gonna skip that one for today, right? And we're gonna go and we're gonna pick and we are going to choose the things that we want about Jesus and the, the thing that happens, which is so interesting. What did we say at the beginning? This has to impact our reality. We don't escape for a couple seconds. And then what begins to happen is after you're done the buffet, Jesus begins to look more like you than he does as someone who is able to challenge you and who is above you. All you are trying to do, right? In the beginning, God made us in his image and you as a constant religious individual are saying, no, let me make you in mine. And John gets bombarded with images that you might not like about Jesus, but are very, very true. Very, very true. He starts off and he sees him. He's clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his heads were white. It's like an old person. What does an old person have? 
right? Some of you guys are going, arthritis? No, wisdom is wisdom. The white hair is supposed to symbolize divine wisdom. He has white hair like snow. It's, it's, the, it's the whitest of, of white, right? It's, 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 there's so much wisdom there. And he goes, and the next image that he sees is his eyes were like a flame of fire. Everywhere in the Bible, what, what fire represents is this idea of judgment, right? You are going to be purified or you're going to be refined in fire. This is how the, the New Testament authors use that. It's a way to make you better. It's a way to clean you up, right? So the image is if you have a bunch of gold and you have it and it's liquefied, you put the heat you put the fire on the gold so all of the nasty garbage of the gold goes to the top and you begin to scoop it out. The fire makes that very thing cleaner. It makes that thing more refined and his eyes are like that. What he sees is the very things in every single one of us he's trying to clean out. He's trying to refine, he's trying to make better. That's what his eyes are. And then it continues and it says his, his feet are like burnished bronzed, refined in a furnace. It's this, it's this very heavy, weighty steps that is able to crush anything that is in front of him. His voice is like a roaring waters, which is what the Old Testament gives this image of, of how God, when he speaks, it's like waters rushing over and over and over again. And then it says this crazy image that Jesus from his mouth has this sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. Like imagine that, like just, right? Just fire eyeballs and blah. And you see that, and at first glance, you read that, and you go, man, like, that's crazy. Like, Jesus is all kind of into violence, I guess, right? A sword? That's hardcore. Like, he's just murking dudes, right? Jesus is into, like, just sword fights. He's killing people, right? No. You're missing the whole point. Where else is it referenced, this whole idea of a two-edged sword? One is in Ephesians. And in the book of Ephesians, what is the two-edged sword? What is the double-edged sword? This is. It says the word of God is like a double-edged sword. The word of God is like a double-edged sword. So what is the way into which Jesus wages war? Does Jesus wage war with weapons? Or does he wage war with something he believes to be way more powerful? And let that kind of chew, let that just sit and meditate with you. That when Jesus had enemies, the weapon he used was not violence, it was the word. And John, in an instance, sees an image of Jesus he has never before seen. Now look at the correlation. In the middle of pain, he sees Jesus in a brand new way. And look at his response. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. 
but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. He's trying to reaffirm him about something. The whole rhythm, just like the Luke passage, let me let you go through something so you can turn around and strengthen and grow the people around you. And what's Jesus doing here? I know you're in this struggle, but if you see me in a new light, you can go and write these things and strengthen and encourage those around you. Man, pain is growth. There is no growth without struggle. There is no growth without tension or without hurt. You know when they have that reference of, of iron sharpens iron? We go, that's such a beautiful, have you ever seen that before? It's violent imagery. There are chunks flying off left and right. It's aggressive, it is painful. That's the image he is saying about growth. Pain is necessary. There's a guy whose name is uh, the Saint John of the Cross and he writes this book called The Dark Night of the Soul. And he says, if you wanna become a leader, if you wanna do something tremendous, God has a couple ways that he's going to do that. And the number one thing overall, always, that he is going to do is crush you. That sounds crazy. So you look back at your life and you go, when were the, the times that I grew the most? It's probably when you hurt the most. And he says, when God wants to do something amazing with someone, he puts them through a deeper kind of suffering in order that at the end of it, they can have a deeper revelation. Now, all of this kind of seems like it's in the clouds. What does this mean? I don't really get what you're trying to say. Let me kind of put this context into my own life. I've told this story before. So if you've heard it, I apologize, but I think it's, it's very important. I went through a season a couple years ago where I was really upset and I was, I was angry at God and a lot of stuff was kind of going on. And in the middle of that, I was asking myself a bajillion questions about why would God do this? Why would God do that? Why would he allow this to happen? Why would he you know, do this and that? And, and all the other things that I saw in my life and I was just upset and I was angry and I was mad. And in the middle of this whole situation, I get a random phone call from my uncle and he goes and he tells me that he has cancer. It's a cancer he's probably not going to beat. I love this guy. I was like, man, this, this, was, this was my dude. Like the reason why my whole family even came to Canada is because this guy came here first. And he brought my mom and allowed her to stay at his house. And, and she, 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 she was the only reason she was even here was because of this guy. And he's sitting there and he's dying of cancer. And so I would go and I'd go to the hospital and I'd visit him and this guy loved Jesus. He would sit there and he would have his guitar and he would sing as loud as he possibly could so that all the other people could hear him. And, and at one point I remember going into the hospital room and I was like, man, you're gonna be okay and it's gonna be fine. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine, it's, it's okay. And the nurse came in and tried to help him. And he goes, your medicine won't help me. I have a greater physician. I was like, whoa, dude, relax. Like, she's, 
just a nurse. Like, she's just trying to get you some waffles, man. Like, chill, you know? He was hardcore. And he just progressively got worse and worse and worse. And slowly, as the time went by, I watched somebody I loved just wither away. Kept losing his hair. He got thinner and thinner and thinner. So one day I remember sitting in, I was in this chair in, in the computer room. I get a phone call and it's from one of my other uncles and he says, he passed away. I remember just crying and crying and asking a million different questions. God, why in the world would you ever do this? Who are you? Why are you so cruel? And I went and I went to the hospice. I got my mom and my grandma and we drove there and the rest of my family was there and it was tears. And, and I walk into the room and, and this is first time I ever see a dead body. Man, it was crazy, you know? You can imagine the emotions flying through and I was upset. Like I was so mad. God, why in the world are you letting me go through something like this? This is insane. What's, what's wrong with you? And I'm just beginning to question every five seconds about who he is. Does he even exist? Like what is, what is this? What does this even mean? Questioning everything that's going on. And that was it. Nothing happened. There's no great growth moment. If anything, I went backwards. For some reason, I kind of stuck with this whole thing. And it wasn't for three years after the fact. I remember getting a speaking request to a church that I actually grew up in. And I went to this church and I was talking to this pastor and he was sitting me down and talking to me about ministry stuff and how it's like to be a pastor. And all, I was just asking him questions. And then all of a sudden I remembered that that night that my uncle passed away, he was actually there. And so I began to go, man, I actually never said, thank you so much for being there and just helping my family go through all of that. Like that's a, that's a rough time. Thank you for putting in that time. And, and he sat and he looked at me and he said, that was amazing, wasn't it? What are, you, what are you talking about? That was amazing. That whole thing was incredible. And obviously I'm feeling like I'm missing something here. What are, you, what are you talking about? And he goes on to say and tell me this story about how when he showed up, some family friends of my uncle had come to that place. They had gone, they had seen the rest of my family and they'd saw, like, they saw this emotion, but they saw this this faith, which was so interesting to them. And it, it rattled their minds to see all of this go through. And so that Sunday, they ended up going to this guy's church. And after hearing this message, they were just so, they were so changed in their very own hearts that the whole family right there and then decided to give their life to Jesus. And then even on top of that, the next week, they were so transformed and they were so changed that that whole family, the week after baptized at that church, until that day, they were still attending. And he says, it was incredible to see that. I'm sitting in this chair, like what, what do I even feel right now? Because it's almost like everything came together. And it, and it dawned on me to think, if my uncle had to die 
so a family can come to know real life. And I asked him, was that worth it? A hundred times out of a hundred times, he would say, let's do it. And I sat back and all of a sudden, everything about the way that I thought about just flipped and trust and my faith just deepened all the more. And it wasn't because someone came up to me and said, awesome sermon. We're so good up there. Those moments are awesome, but those are not the ones that grow you. My faith was deepened and it was transformed and it was changed. And because of suffering, look at this, that family grew, that pastor grew, I grew, and now all of you are better for it. Suffering changes things dramatically. The pain you go through has a purpose, that God sees you. And what was these people's worst fear? Living in life. Their biggest fear was to look at the people around them and go, are you actually going to kill me? Like, is, that's their biggest fear. And what is the very thing that Jesus tells him that he is in control of? What does he say? Fear not, I am the first, I am the source, and they last, I am the goal and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. It's the hope of the gospel that we entrust. And I have the keys of death. That the very thing that they were so fearful of is the very thing that he controls and says, listen, if that's your worst fear, I got it. This is every single one of us, is this progression, it's this, it's this growth that every single one of us is going to have in our lives. And all the biblical authors understand it. They all begin to, to get how this works. Look at this passage in Philippians. We have a slide for it that I think is incredibly interesting. It says this, Genesis has this very interesting pattern that follows the way that Philippians 1 verse 6 goes to work. It says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Paul knows his Bible very, very well. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Your growth, your intended goal and destination, he is going to complete it. He will do the work. And you look at that and you go, this seems like very familiar language, doesn't it? All through the book of Genesis, in the beginning, at the end of every single thing he makes, what does he say? In the beginning, it is good. And he ends off by saying, thus the heavens and earth were completed. What does that look like to us? And he goes, the very same nuclear force that created all things that are is the very same thing that's in control of your growth. Even if it intends suffering, 
I will handle you as I did the cosmos. What's your biggest fear? The worst thing that you can fear is death. And he can look at you and say, man, I died and now I am alive. I have overcome the victory that you're looking for. I have already earned for you. Now, all I am asking you to do, John, is understand the suffering, understand what you are in, and also who begins to be John's brother in that moment, the very same one who understood pain and suffering, Jesus. The very same one who through pain and suffering created growth for everyone around him in the gospel the very same brother in Jesus who went and did all of those things on your behalf. And when we look at suffering, we go, man, we should actually be grateful because when Jesus suffered and when he died, all the rest of us are better because of it. That's what the gospel is. It's what a saint is, those who love and trust Jesus tremendously. We as followers of Jesus, do not run away from pain. We engage with it. And we ask all through the process, God, do something in my heart and don't just allow me to grow. Allow me to strengthen everybody else. Revelation's not too scary. Two weeks in, there's no new knowledge. It just repeats the very same thing. Jesus is for you. You look at him in a new way and look at what he'll do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we get together. That as we go through your word, we just begin to see suffering and pain and tribulation. And we see that this so much has to do with us. And all of the things that we currently go through, God, that we would just, we would sit in those things and we would just ask you for dependence. We would ask that we would just be, that we would just be so leaning onto you the whole way through that you do something with us, that the person to our left and to our right, they grow because of my pain. That I grow because of my pain, that you do something tremendous to the world because of the things that I am going through that as you wanna do magnificent things through my life and that's what you want me to do, the way that you are going to grow me is through the suffering. The way you changed the world was through suffering. Jesus on the cross. And if he has gone through that, then I will go through the same. Not just for me, but for others to change them and their hearts. And just, I pray that you take that you embolden our hearts and you change us from the inside and allow us to think through our pain, not just through the lenses of our own life, but also in the lenses of everybody else's. Allow our world to be changed through your word and allow us to go and live in that reality. So Father, we thank you. We love you. Just wanna pray, amen.